Well, when I was a boy, I hated it when my mom would go clothes shopping and I had to go with her. She could spend forever in a store looking for bargains, trying to find the right sizes. And I can remember when I was a little fella, about four years old or so, there was one particular store that my mom loved to go to. And it just, it seemed like endless racks of clothes. Just the racks went on and on and on. And when I would see her pull up at that store, my heart would sink. I can remember it even as a little bitty fella, but there was one thing about this store that I did like. The, the clothes racks, most of them were round. Well, that gave a great opportunity for a four-year-old boy. So my mom would be looking at clothes, and I was bored to death. And so you know what I did. I would sneak into the middle of one of those racks, and I'd play for just a little bit. But it wouldn't be long that my mom would start saying, Lonnie, Lonnie, where are you? And she would, I would come out, and she would scold me, you stay by my side. What I found out as a little boy is that it was awful difficult to get beyond my mom's all-seeing eyes. And at the time, I didn't know it, but it was the grace of God that, that my mom seemed to have, like, like most moms do, almost a sixth sense when it comes to, to issues regarding their children. And so, as a boy... I discovered you just can't get away from, from mom. Well, today we're going to look at a man who was trying to escape, not from his mother, but who was trying to escape from the eyes of God. Now, have you ever tried to hide from God? Have you ever thought to yourself, you know what? I think I can, I think I can take my own path. I think I can do my own thing. I'll be fine. He's not going to even notice. I'll just kind of go on the run. It's not going to be a big deal. Well, these are the questions that we're going to think about this morning as we look in the book of Jonah. Now, we're beginning a new series through the book of Jonah. Jonah is likely the author of this book because of all of the rich autobiographical information that we see here, though we're not positive about that. Um, Because he's referred to in the third person, some have argued, well, it couldn't be by Jonah because... uh, because of that reason, but other Old Testament authors have been known to write from a third-person point of view. Now, Second Kings 14.25 tells us that Jonah is from Gath-Hefer, which was near Nazareth, a town near Nazareth. Second Kings 14 also suggests that Jonah, Jonah's ministry was during the time of Jeroboam II. This was the king of Israel or the northern tribes of Israel. And, and he reigned from 793 to 753 around that time period. So the events that are recorded here would have happened sometime during the 8th century B.C. Now Jonah is a prophet uh, of Israel, of, of the northern kingdom, but he's known as the prophet to the people of, of Nineveh. Many have argued that Jonah has to be understood allegorically. In other words, it has to be understood figuratively, that that these couldn't be real historical events. Many have have made that argument because of the nature of these events, because they're just so miraculous. There's no way they could be true. But what we see as you read the book of Jonah is that Scripture presents them as if they really happened. In fact, the genre here is historical narrative. In other words, Scripture is presenting facts as they happened. And if you look at the words of Jesus in Matthew 12, 40, you'll see that he believed the events in the book of Jonah were historical events. Let's look together at Jonah 1, 
verses 1 through 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. Get up, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because their evil has come up before me. Jonah got up to flee Tarshish from the Lord's presence. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. He paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the Lord's presence. So in verse 1, God speaks directly to Jonah with this statement, the word of the Lord. Now, this is a common pronouncement in the uh, prophets of the Old Testament. You see this phrase over a hundred times. But what makes this particular pronouncement different than the others is that this wasn't a word for other people. This was a word for Jonah himself. And so here in verse 1, we're presented the main characters in the book of Jonah, God and the prophet Jonah. And all throughout the book, there's an interplay between God and, and between Jonah. The book of Jonah places an emphasis not on Jonah's message, but it places an emphasis upon Jonah himself. And this makes it different than the other prophets. In verse 2, God issues a series of commands to Jonah. The commands are, get up, go, preach. Now, there's no ambiguity about God's expectations here. He is telling Jonah to obey, and he's telling Jonah to do so in a hurry. You get up, and you do what I'm telling you to do. And what did God tell him to do? He told him to go to preach in Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was the capital city of Assyria, and this was about 500 miles northeast of, of Israel. It was a large and influential city in uh, the ancient world, the Assyrians were an ongoing threat to the nation of Israel. And so most Israelites weren't really uh, too excited about the Assyrians. They saw them as enemies. In fact, in 722 BC, some, some years later, the Assyrians would capture Israel and completely destroy the northern kingdom. They would wipe them out. But God tells Jonah that the wickedness of the, the people of Nineveh he says, their wickedness has come up before me. Now, this is an image of, of something like a foul smell rising up so that God can no longer ignore it. Now, it's not as if God had just become aware of their sin, like, oh, suddenly he sees it. No, God knows all things. God sees all things. It's that their sin had become so egregious. They had become so degenerate that God couldn't uh, overlook it any longer. One commentator said it this way. God's patience has become overshadowed by the mandate of justice. In other words, in God's holiness, he can no longer permit the evil that's happening in Nineveh. He must do something. They have become so evil. God must act. Notice that God isn't just the God of Israel, but he is sovereign over all all the nations, all the kingdoms of the world, the people of Nineveh were cruel and wicked and we see that God, the ruler of all, would, would act. The very fact that God is sending one of his prophets to this foreign people, to the people of Nineveh, is an act of his grace. It's an act of, of God's mercy for this declaration of coming judgment leaves open the possibility that the people of Nineveh might turn. That the people of Nineveh might make a change. That they might repent. And then they might forego the judgment of God. So God has called Jonah to go and preach to the people of Nineveh. How does Jonah respond to, to God's command? To get up, to go, to preach. 
Well, let's look in verse 3. God told Jonah to get up. And in verse 3, what did Jonah do? He got up. So far, so good. He's, he's done what God has said. But things go south from here. Because suddenly, once Jonah gets up, he goes, but he doesn't go the right direction. Jonah is fleeing. He's trying to get away from God. And Scripture tells us that he headed to Tarshish. Now, Tarshish is thought to be a town in the Mediterranean Sea, perhaps on the, on the coast of Spain, that though its exact location isn't known. One commentator noted that, that Tarshish might be a, something like we might say in English. Well, he's going to Timbuktu to express the idea that he's going as far away as he can go. And so we get the idea that Jonah, instead of heading to Nineveh, is getting completely away, not just from Nineveh, but from the place that he expects to encounter God, which is the nation of of Israel. So notice that Jonah is headed to Tarshish. The scripture says here to flee the Lord's presence. To flee the Lord's presence. Is that possible? Can you flee the presence of God? Well, obviously not. The scripture makes clear that God knew exactly what Jonah was doing. He knew exactly where Jonah was. God didn't need a GPS or a tracking device connected to Jonah. God knew. The scripture makes it clear. So Jonah is on a mission that is destined to fail. His mission is destined to fail. Why does this prophet want away from the Lord's presence so bad? Why is he fleeing the Lord's presence? Well, in Jonah 4.2, we get an idea of why Jonah took off running. Jonah confesses to God, you know what? I was afraid the people of Nineveh would repent, and I was afraid that you would show them mercy. So why did Jonah take off running? It's because he couldn't stand the people of Assyria. He hated them. He he wanted no part of giving them an opportunity to get right with God. He wanted no part of it. Now, Jonah is the only genuine prophet in the Old Testament that we know of who disobeyed one of God's direct commands. He's unique in that regard. What would drive this prophet that God had called to walk away from God? Not just walk away, but run away from God. His hatred of the Assyrians. His disdain for them would cause him to walk away from, from, from the God who had called him. Now, in verse 3, we see that Jonah went down to Joppa. This was a small harbor town on the Palestinian coast of the Mediterranean Sea. It wasn't a part of Israel until much later. So, in other words, this is a city that's filled with people who don't know the God of Israel. It's filled with people, you might say, from an Israelite perspective, who were pagans. So, when he went to Joppa as, as the town that he was going to uh, find aboard a ship... He was also getting away as quickly as he could from anybody that would remind him about his responsibilities to God, that would remind him and and be speaking about the Lord, the God of Israel. He wanted away from that, so he goes down to Joppa. And he's thinking maybe he can escape the call of God. Maybe he can live life as he wants to live it. Maybe he can ignore God altogether. But what was Jonah thinking For if God's eyes are not only on Israel, but also on Nineveh, then could Jonah really expect that God's eyes wouldn't be on Tarshish and Joppa and that ship that he was in? For God knew where Jonah was all along. So what do these verses teach us about God 
and about trying to hide from God. It's this. You can't escape from God. You can't escape from God. You can try to get away from Him. But friend, you can't hide from Him. You you can't. There's no escaping Him. There's no place to flee that His eyes can't see. There's no escaping the Lord. Now think of every bird that you've ever seen. Now I know you can't really, but you can imagine that's hundreds if not thousands of birds. Thousands of birds. And yet Jesus said that not one sparrow falls to the ground without the knowledge of God. In this same passage in Matthew 10, he also says that every single hair on your head, God knows the number. Imagine that. Every person alive, every single hair on your head, God knows that. What is Jesus saying? God knows everything. God is absolutely inescapable. And that, my friends, is very, very good news. It's very good news. Let's think about how this plays out in our lives from a practical perspective. First, don't try to play games with God. Don't try to play games with God. You can live live life the way you want to live it, but one day you're going to come face to face with God. You're going to come face to face with the reality of who he is. Oh, for a period of time, you can go and do your own thing. Hey, I want to do this. I know God's word says that, but you know what? I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go my own way. I'm going to chart my own path. I'm going to take off on a ship to Tarshish. It'll be fine. It'll be good. But one day, that ship's sinking. One day, you're going to come face to face with the God, the God that you can't hide from. Don't play games with God. It's futile. It's a game that you simply can't win. Quit trying to pretend that you can fly under the radar, that you're the exception to the rule. You're not. Jonah wasn't, and you aren't either. Neither am I. So let's stop playing games with God. As we think of of putting the truths that we learn here from these first few verses in Jonah into our lives, we need to submit to God. We need to submit to God. To God. In other words, we need to do what God says. We need to do what He says. Most importantly, this means that we repent of our sin and we place our faith in Jesus. John 1.12 says, But to all who received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. So what's the starting point for submitting to God? It's to turn to Christ in faith. And the Bible teaches that every one of us is guilty. That every one of us is guilty of sin. That all of us have, we've done what we wanted. We've ignored what, what God said and we've tried to live life our own way. That, that if truth be known, if we looked in the recesses of your heart, if you looked in the recesses of my heart, we would find that we are sinful. And apart from God, sinful to the core. Broken. And the scriptures teach that God is absolute purity. That in him, there's nothing but complete purity. And because of his character, because of his holy character, he can't receive sinners. He can't be in fellowship with you and me. He can't have a relationship with us. Now, some have believed that if you get baptized, then God will suddenly just say, oh, everything's good. Or if you go through catechism, oh, everything's good. Or if you go to church, well, everything's good. Or if you try to be a good person, then everything's good. But the scripture teaches that none of us can be good. 
That every one of us is guilty. As good as we try to be, every one of us is still a guilty sinner. And we can't fix that. But how can that be fixed? Well, the scriptures teach that God loved us so much that he sent his own son to this earth to live and to die on a cross. And what God did in his holiness, he couldn't receive us. But what he did as he took his wrath towards sin, his holy wrath, the wrath that he must have towards sin because of his nature, and he placed it upon his son. And Jesus suffered and died so that your sins could be forgiven. He was buried and he came back to life conquering death. And when we turn to Jesus in faith, this is what happens. God takes all of our sin and he washes it away. And we get credit for the perfect life that Jesus lived when he was here on earth. You see, Jesus came to this earth and he did not sin. He lived a perfect life. And when you turn to him in faith, God takes the penalty for your sin and he puts it on his son. And he takes the perfect life that Jesus lived and he credits it to you. And then when God looks down, he says, you know what? That's my boy. That's my girl. He's perfectly righteous. She's perfectly righteous. Why? Because the righteousness of Christ covers us. That's how we get into heaven. That's how we begin a relationship with God. And if we want to talk about submitting to God, that's the starting point. Friend, have you been running from God? Have you been trying to go your own way? Have you been charting your own path? Today, God says to you, come. You don't need to do that anymore. Submit to me. Believe in my son. I sent him so that you could live, so that you could have eternal life. I sent him because I love, because my love is great. Won't you turn? That's what God is saying. Now, if you're a believer, if you've already trusted Christ, are you submitting your life to God? Are you striving to obey what his word says? Are you striving to put his commands into practice? Or or are you doing your own thing? This is God's word to you this morning if you're a believer and you've gotten off the path. His word to you is turn and get back, get back on track. Begin to follow me. There's blessing when we obey God. There's blessing in obedience. As we think of putting this into practice in our lives, we need to ask this question. Do you care about the gospel getting to people who are different than you? Do you care about the gospel getting to people who are different than you? Jonah hated the people of Nineveh. They were enemies of Israel, and he couldn't stand them. He didn't want any part of them turning to God. What's your attitude toward people who are different than you? People who are of a different ethnicity? People who are of a different socioeconomic class? Or what of the people who live in Iran or the people who live in North Korea? What's your attitude toward them? Do you disdain them? Or does your heart break for them? Because you want to see people come to know God. You want to see people repent and find the mercy of God. What's your attitude? Disdain, apathy, or does your heart break for the peoples who who don't know Him? So we must desire to see all people, all people, transformed, reached, with the gospel. Now, Terrence Mayhorn was a, a, a little boy who was born with a debilitating condition. He was left with, with special needs and, and a lot of health issues, had his first surgery at, at three days old. Recently, uh, Terrence was back in the hospital, but this time 
He was 19 years old and being in the hospital, he was about to miss his senior prom. And so his classmates got together and they came up with a plan and they worked with nurses and they they found a conference room in the neurological unit where he was and they decorated that conference room like it it was prom. And his mom tricked him into putting on a tuxedo. She told him, we're going to get some pictures made, and I want you to wear this tuxedo. And, and, and he did. And so as Terrence walked into that conference room with his tux on, everyone yells, surprise! And there are his classmates. The conference room is decorated with the theme of the prom. There was a, a girl there who offered to be his date. She was wearing her prom dress. And they played his favorite music, and, and they danced together. And his classmates had voted him prom king. And he was crowned prom king. You see, Terrence couldn't make it to the prom. But his classmates brought the prom to him. His classmates weren't going to let him miss his senior prom. They weren't going to do that. Now, God is like this, but only in an unimaginably greater way. And this should bring us Great joy and hope. You see, there's no place that we can go, even in the midst of our failures and sin, where God isn't. God is eager to forgive the sinner who turns to him in repentance. He's eager to do that. In fact, he won't leave you alone as you try to run from him. As you try to escape to Tarshish, he's coming after you. His eyes are on you. And if you repent and turn to him, He throws a party. Well, maybe that's a loose translation of Luke 15, 7, but we see there's rejoicing in heaven when a person turns to him in repentance. You see, God is inescapable. You think that you're going to get away from him, but friend, you can't get away. You can't escape. There is no escaping him. And you know what that means? There's hope for you wherever you find yourself. Even if you find yourself in rebellion against God and a ship headed to Tarshish, there's hope for you. God's there. He's ready to meet you. You can't escape from the Lord. Now, for those of you who are Christians, are you like the prophet Jonah? Have you decided to, to go your own way? You know what God's word says in this area or that area, but it's not reality in your life. You're, you're doing what you want. Today, I plead with you, won't you repent? Won't you in just a few moments when we stand to sing, won't you right there in in these quiet moments call out to God and say, God, I've been going this direction. Lord, I've been getting on my own ship to Tarshish, but I don't want to go there anymore. God, I want to repent. I want to turn back to you. I want to get my life lined back up with you. Lord, I've let all these things become more important to me than you. But God, I want to come home. Believer, would you come home? Would you repent? Would you get back on track? Would you submit to God? Oh, there's joy, if you will. There's blessing in obedience. Oh, come home. Now, in reality... There are many people here today who who don't really have a relationship with God. Maybe there are people here who who thought because they did something religious when they were a kid or they they walked an aisle when they were a kid or or, uh, went through some sort of a ritual or attend church some or try to be a good person. Maybe maybe you thought all those things would, would make you right with God. But in reality, the scriptures say they don't. There's only one way to be right with God and it's through the blood of Christ. How do you get credit 
for what Christ did. How do you get your sins washed away? It's when you call out to Jesus in faith, when you say to him, God, I'm tired of going my own way. I'm turning back to you. I believe that Jesus died, that he was buried, and that he came back to life, and I want to follow him. And when you pray a prayer like that and you meet it in your heart, you know what the Bible says? God grabs you up and he never lets go of you. You become a child of God. And even if you fumble the ball, oh, you're still in the hands of a mighty and powerful God. He'll never, ever drop you. Oh, what joy and assurance there is there. So even when when we've dropped the ball, even when we've gone our own way, if we belong to him, he never stops loving us. He never lets go of us. You see, we serve a God who is inescapable. What wonderful news. Let's pray together.